Hello and welcome to Voicebox, the place to go on the airwaves and the cyberwaves for intelligent and wide-ranging conversation about the human voice and the best of the vocal music scene. I'm Chloe Veltman. Thanks for being here with me tonight. When you're the one standing on stage in front of the mic, it's easy to feel like you're the centre of the universe. But what you often forget as a singer is how crucial it is to communicate with the band that's standing to the side of you and behind you if you want to put over a truly successful performance. And in order to achieve this, a vocalist has to do much more than simply sing like an angel. So on tonight's show, we're going to be exploring the subtle yet powerful relationship that goes on between great singers and the musicians that surround them to find out, beyond basic songwriting and singing abilities, what goes into making electrifying music on stage. With me in the studio tonight, I'm joined by a wonderful jazz singer who's made it her mission to educate other singers in the art of communicating with their band members, Ellen Robinson. Hi, Ellen. Thank you for coming into the studio. Hi, Chloe. I'm delighted to be here. We also have an additional guest with us this evening, a musician who frequently collaborates with Ellen, Kristen Strom, saxophone player who's also a singer. Hi, Kristen. Glad you could join us. Hello. Thank you very much. So, first of all, how did you meet and for how long have you been playing together? Excellent question. I think it was Bud Spangler. Bud Spangler um, said uh, he knew a wonderful sax player that he knew would really connect with the way I sing. And so that was how we connected. I don't know. How long ago was that? A couple of years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it hasn't been that we long. We owe him something for this. Yeah, maybe four, five, four, something four, five like years. And, and do you, how often do you play together? Not often enough. <laughs> well, Christian's yeah. featured on your, on your upcoming album, right? She certainly is, uh, on every track, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we also <laughs> sing together on one of the tracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, before we dig into the fascinating topic at hand, I thought we could hear a song from your new album, Ellen and Kristen. Um, so here is uh, the rendition of But Beautiful, a song from 1947 by Jimmy Van Hoysen and Johnny Burke. The track provides a sneak peek of Ellen's forthcoming album, Don't Wait Too Long, which is scheduled to come out in the spring. In addition to Ellen Robinson on vocals, the track features Murray Lowe on piano, Dan Foltz on drums, and Sam Bevan on bass and Kristen Strom on sax. Who can say what love is? Does it come from the mind or the heart? When I hear discussions of what love is Everybody speaks a different part Love is funny If you've just joined us here on Voicebox, welcome. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman. You can catch us on the dial or download our free weekly podcasts on iTunes. Search for KALW Voicebox. 
We just heard But Beautiful, a ballad from 1947 by Jimmy Van Hoysen and Johnny Burke. Bing Crosby made it famous, but in this instance, the song was performed by tonight's guest jazz vocalist Ellen Robinson. The track comes from Ellen's forthcoming album, Don't Wait Too Long. Ellen is here with me along with a musician from her band, Kristen Strom, and we're about to launch into a conversation on the communication process between vocalists and the band that support their sound. Ellen, so you teach workshops for vocalists on this subject. Why is it so important to you? Um, I think the main reason is because I have found that vocalists often have a reputation, which unfortunately is often well-founded, that we don't know anything. And um, I know that instrumentalists have to work hard and learn all the things about theory and practice their instrument and all that kind of stuff. And they have the language and they know how to talk to each other. And singers, I think because your instrument is you, Mm -hmm. you can just show up and think that's enough. And um, I really um, want to be able, I feel empowered with the knowledge that I have and I want to share that with other singers so that they can be empowered as well and also can get... Uh, what they want as as support and backup from the musicians who are really wanting to give them what they want, but they can't if they can't communicate with each other. Yeah, it's interesting, this idea of, of singers as being somehow separate from musicians. I mean, singers are musicians, but it's so often the case. They'll say, singers go here and musicians go there. You know, exactly. It's kind of... Uh, depressing in a way mm-hmm. because of course there are many singers who are uh, excellent musicians absolutely and are very knowledgeable so Kristen let me turn to you as a band member present company excluded of course what are your biggest hang-ups about working with singers <laughs> <laughs> put me on the spot yeah. man. Mm. <laughs> be as blunt as you like you know I, I think kind of the the thing that that bothers me is a singer that in front of the band uh, expecting everything to go the, the way that they want without communicating anything, just as far as what tempo they want the tune in. Sometimes they don't know what key they want it in. Mm-hmm. You know, endings or how to come back in after solos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that concept of keeping the form. You know, jazz musicians, we keep the form of the song in our heads going over and over during our solos, during everyone else's solos. And um, and the vocalist needs to do that too, so they're able to come back in, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the form, at the time for them to come in. And um, I'm I'm frustrated when uh, they're not paying attention to those kind of things. Have you ever come across any diva-like behaviour? Do you often <laughs> find that you're getting annoyed? <laughs> you get me in big trouble now, man. <laughs> you know, you don't have sure, to mention you know. any names. <laughs> no, sure. It's like it's like I've dis- I'm uh, they'll just decide. Okay, I'm taking the song out in the middle of an eight-bar phrase or something. Uh-huh. As you know, ignoring actually what what to me what's important. Well, the music has integrity, right, and mm-hmm. the, the integrity of the song or the form or whatever, and and everybody should be involved in that. So that's that happens sometimes. Uh, I don't know where you guys are, but let's just end, let's go back in now. So, do you think that the bad rap yeah. that singers get in the musical world is deserved? Sometimes, sure. <laughs> sure. Um. So, a but, question. Well, Paula, let me just mention yeah. something, but. I, I like to work with vocalists. The, one that, the ones I choose to work with are not this way. <laughs> so, right. You know, with Ellen, and then I work with uh, Pamela Rose. Oh, and yeah. Then, Pamela's know, been on this show. Yeah, and, and then another fine singer in Vancouver, B.C. They're all fine musicians, so... Yeah, you, so often, most of the time, you're not having to deal with right, any right. nonsense. <laughs> all right, a question for the both of you. Who leads the band? Is it a band member? Is it the singer? Or is everyone in charge? It depends on the band. Okay. Yeah, it depends on the band. 
Um, I really like collaboration with um, my musicians, and I so then I need to be part of that collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I also feel like um, I am the leader, um, and there are times when I will uh, give up my leadership and say, you know, well, you decide, or what do you think? And I'm I'm open to it, so let's just decide together. But I do believe that as a, as the singer, I am the leader of the band, and the band is watching me for cues. And then I, you know, it is a conversation. Okay. Beyond watching you for cues, are there any other aspects that come with this role of leadership? Preparing, uh, choosing the songs, uh, preparing the charts, uh, running the rehearsals, mm-hmm. uh, setting up the gigs. Right. Paying the musicians, hopefully, <laughs> something. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, all of that okay. is entailed. There are, um, you know, also singers who have uh, someone as their musical director, their piano player, or one mm. of the members of the band will be the director. Uh, if they have the luxury to have that kind of an ongoing relationship, that's fabulous. But um, some of us don't always know if we're going to have the same musicians with us each time. And I have been so delighted to have these same four wonderful musicians with me in the last gigs I've been doing. It's, it, it makes the conversation so much richer. It makes us all grow. What about in terms of uh, when you're standing out there and you you know maybe you can't see everyone what's what's going on there what about that dynamic Well I can tell you from my point of view because I'm not looking but I know that you know the way the band is set up everybody needs to be able to see each other and there are times when I have to really be the other thing I'm doing is I'm relating to the audience and sometimes the musicians don't have to do that so they'll look at each other for a cue and I don't have to give it. But that's because I've worked with these musicians before. If I hadn't, I would have to, in the middle of my you know, dramatic, quiet ballad, turn around and give a cue. But because we have had this conversation, I don't have to do that. Funk diva Patti LaBelle with eyes at the back of my head. <laughs> That's effectively what a singer needs if she's going to be able to communicate with the people standing playing instruments and singing backing vocals behind her. I'm Chloe Veltman, your host on Voicebox. I'm chatting with Ellen Robinson, a jazz singer who also teaches workshops for singers on developing the skills they need to work masterfully with other musicians. And we also have one of Ellen's band members with us in the studio, sax player Kristen Strom. So Ellen, none of us have eyes in the back of our heads, of course. Um, you alluded to this a little bit before I, we played that music. What can you tell us about how singers can develop a greater sense of awareness of what's going on around them? I think that, um, I, I think, especially working with this band, I've had a sense of uh, understanding more what they're going through. Um, and And it's very important to me that I give my musicians as much as I can what they need. Mm-hmm. because then then I look good. 
So we're going to spend our time for most of the rest of the show looking at three things. What singers must do to make sure that they are completely prepared in anticipation of getting together with the band, how singers can optimise their time in rehearsal with a band and how they can work in perfect harmony with a band in performance. Now, from looking at the wonderful list of pointers you sent me, Ellen, <laughs> as we were pulling together material for this show, it seems that there are far more things that a singer needs to do in advance of meeting the band than stuff that happens during the rehearsal or on stage. Why is that? Uh, well, first of all, I'm not sure I agree. I, okay, well, your list was much longer. Yeah, put it yeah, that way. Let's put it that way. Why is there so much to, in, in order to prepare? Yeah, why is, why is there so much upfront work that needs to be done? Um, I guess so that you, at least for me, so that I can really trust these wonderful musicians that they know exactly what I have in mind and then we can all just leap off you know the edge together and I can not have to think about that so much while I'm on stage because when I'm on stage I'm doing this whole other thing which is telling the story I have words and the instrumentalists don't and I'm communicating with the audience as well as the musicians so I need to be able to have all that preparation done and know what it is so that I can then let go on top of it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the things that a singer needs to do before he or she gets together with the band. Um, Let's talk about key. Yeah, that's a big one. All right. That's a big one. The first thing I'll say is don't try to, as a singer, don't try to figure out what key you should sing in while you're sitting down first thing in the morning. Mm, sure, yeah. Right? Because your voice isn't <laughs> anywhere near where it's going to be later I've on. done that real relaxed at the keyboard, just playing a song, and I think I've got it, and I write up the whole chart, and then I stand up, you know, 9 o'clock at night, and I'm, my adrenaline is pumping, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so the wrong key. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so from what time of day is it Well, wait till you, you're acceptable. up, and you're, you know, awake, and you're, you know, you've had your whatever... You've spoken out loud. You've sp- oh, yeah. You've spoken out loud. You've warmed up a little <laughs> bit, actually. It's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you want to know what... You need to know what your vocal range is, and then you need to know what the vocal range of the song is. Mm-hmm. Um, it can make or break your performance if you have the song in the right key or the wrong key. Right. We've, uh, we've seen many performers take a spill over that one, right? Yeah. 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 And so it also depends on uh, the kind of song it is. You know, if it's a blues song, maybe you want it in the lower range. If you want to be able to belt, you need to make sure that your, you know, important notes are in that range for you. Um, you know, so there's a lot of factors to consider, but it's it's like number one. Know what key you want the song is. Okay. And the other thing is there is no one key for you. Some singers think, oh, what is my key in life? You know, I wish there was one. <laughs> <laughs> are there any keys that you tend to gravitate towards? I don't know. What do you say, Chris? I don't. Oh, maybe G, A flat. Okay. We don't like the key of B, right? Why do we not <laughs> like the key of B? Instrumentalist, tell us why. Uh, well, if, if I'm playing a tenor saxophone, if she's her song is in the key of B, my mine is in the key of C sharp, oh. which is all sharps. Yes. Which is, you know, I I know how to play in that key, but it's not as comfortable to be smooth in. You know, uh-huh. in different. So, what's your keys. what's your process, Kristen, for uh, building up the repertoire? And I mean, you learning all the songs in all the keys, or you just you know how to transpose very easily. How, what, how are you? Well, what key do you start learning a song in? The one that it's originally written in, obviously. Yes, I, yeah, I learn a, t- a tune in in the original key, but um, pretty much, especially in uh, maybe in, in the Great American Songbook kind of uh, repertoire, the. The songs start falling into categories of the chord progressions that they have. So mm-hmm. it's not that difficult to 
they say, oh, we're, I'm actually doing that a third up from the original key, and you can figure out, okay, well, that goes there at the bridge, and that goes there, and I can kind of hear it coming. How much notice yeah. do you need uh, if, if, for a singer to come and want to do something in a different key? Do you Can it happen instantly right in performance? Does it have to happen in rehearsal? Do you need notice of Oh, well, several... it just it depends on what um, they want me to do on the tune. If yeah. it's just to... Um, Fill behind the vocal and, and uh, play an improvised solo. Probably I don't need any warning. <laughs> any, any warning, but if there are some parts that need to be played, yeah, it's some a regular transposition like from a concert key to my key, I can sight read fairly easily. So, so it kind of depends on the on a, how difficult it is. So as we've discussed, not all keys suit all singers, um, especially, I think, when it comes to songs that have a wide range of notes, like the American National Anthem. I thought <laughs> it would be fun for us to hear quick examples of how two well-known vocalists, Jennifer Hudson and Leanne Rimes, made key choices when singing the star-spangled banner that felt comfortable for their voices. Leanne Rimes sings the song in F major, a third lower than Jennifer Hudson. Oh, say tuned into Voicebox. I'm Chloe Veltman. And don't forget, you can download our free weekly podcasts on iTunes. Search for KALW Voicebox. I'm in the studio with jazz singer Ellen Robinson and instrumentalist Kristen Strom. We're chatting about how a singer can most effectively communicate with her band. We've been talking about the importance of knowing what key to sing a song in, and we just heard a couple of examples of how two well-known vocalists, Jennifer Hudson and Leanne Rimes, made key choices when singing the star-spangled banner that felt comfortable for their voices. So let's talk about key changes. Many songs have them. They crop up so often in pop music that they're almost cliché. Ellen, why should singers, what should singers do to prepare themselves for key changes? Well, first of all, they need to know that there is one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that you actually sing the right notes uh, into the key change. Um, and you need, you need to practice that sometimes. Sometimes that's the trickiest part of the song is when you're segueing into the key change. Sometimes you might need to ask your instrumentalist for some uh, cue to make sure that you, you do that correctly. And what, what would that cue uh, some some a lead-in note, or actually maybe even you know like a or a five chord that leads you into the one of the new key. I see. So or it's actually, obvious. It's emphatic. You mean? Yeah, yeah. So singers who don't necessarily have a lot of music theory behind them may struggle to know what to know what a key change is. I mean, are there any simple ways that they can figure it out? Or, I mean, they have to take a th whole theory course or. Well, I think the theory is, is the, some of the theory is the mental understanding. You can also have a really good ear 
and can hear and but not know how to talk about it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah and so so what we're talking about here is how you, how you communicate that and how do you understand it you there are things you can know mm-hmm. without having the words for it right so i don't think you have to take a complete theory course to, to hear a key hear a key change right but you need to be able to know where it occurs and you need to be and you need to be able to say we're do you need in fact as a singer to be able to say we're going from c major to g major here how or do you just need to be able to know that there is a key change you just need to be able to know that there is a key change you may not know what what the keys are even right but it would it's i think it enhances the relationship by being able to have that knowledge and that understanding and talk about it yeah when you have the conversation right you but you also want to um you want to mention it to the band, right? You, oh yeah. You always want the band. The band wants to do the best job for you as a singer. Mm-hmm. And if you, it's a good idea to point these things out in know? advance. Yes. Yes. <laughs> on page two, there's a key change from yes. C to G. Okay. Right. right. What else does a singer need to be on top of before he or she meets the musicians? What about harmony? You mean the chord? Chord progressions. Chord progressions. Yeah. 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 You want to say something about that? Well. You know, it's all, it's all layers of understanding. Um, you know, the singer's first job is to be a great singer, and mm-hmm. we and we all understand that, right? Um, and you know, I'm kind of in both camps mm-hmm. because I do some singing, and then the way that I uh, run my band when, when I'm a band leader as a horn player, it's it's very similar to being a vocalist in front of the band. So, whatever knowledge you have those layers of knowledge are just going to help you be kind of on the same level of understanding with your musicians Mm -hmm. so um yeah and 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 understanding that a lot of times um you know musicians will hear that oh that's a minor chord but and and if you're not singing the minor third on that chord you know then they're going to hear that so but if you're aware of what that what that is you're going to be locked in better Let's move on to talking about some of the more rhythmic issues. How much in command of meter and rhythmic patterns does a singer need to be in order to relate well with a band? Mm. This is a good one. Because yeah. <laughs> it's a fluid thing, right? Yeah. Rhythm, especially in the kind of repertoire that you guys are working on. Of course, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of singer who does a bunch of different styles. I mean, if you just do straight ahead swing, then, I mean... Well, first of all, the, the singer has to know how to count off the tune oh, in, that part. In, in different fields. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Not, you mean not the just part, the one, a two, a one, yeah, two, yeah, three, yeah. four. Yes. Yeah, well, that part. yeah. And and you can communicate a lot about the song in the way that you count it off. Right. Huh? Right. If you're going to play, if it's going to be swing, you you snap on two and four and you go one, two, one, two, three, four. And you're, you're indicating this is how I want this song to go. Doom, mm-hmm. doom, doom. Mm-hmm. Right. Or one and two, one, two, three, four, and you actually count it off in straight, in a straight feel as opposed to a swing feel. And that's a big thing. When, when a singer goes, one, they, they start snapping and everyone in the band thinks that's on two and four, and then they say one on that and they turn the beat around and Confusing. All, the band goes, ah! <laughs> that's true. Ah, yeah. you're killing me. Yeah. 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 Well, so, Ellen, you provided four lovely examples of musical clips of yourself singing different kinds of rhythmic patterns or different kinds of, of meters and I thought it would be interesting to 
hear little excerpts of these tracks and then talk about them. Great idea. So the first song um, is is the song, it's called If. It's based on a poem by Rudyard Kipling that many of you out there will be familiar with. And it's set to music by Joni Mitchell. The second is the Moses Allen track, Everybody's Crying Mercy. And then we'll hear a bit of a track, well, two tracks composed by by Ellen. Um, the, tra- the third track will be called The Storm. And the fourth is Tick Tock. your head while all about you people are losing theirs and blaming it on you if you can trust yourself when everybody doubts you You're listening to Voice Box with Chloe Veltman. This evening we're exploring what it takes for a singer to communicate effectively with his or her band. I'm in the studio with jazz singer Ellen Robinson and saxophone player Kristen Strom. We just heard a few clips demonstrating the variety of a variety of rhythmic feels that singers have to deal with and have the vocabulary to talk about with musicians. Ellen and Kristen, could you talk us through the four clips we just heard, which all featured Ellen on vocals and all of them as well, I think. Kristen, you performed on all those tracks a little bit? Not on uh, Everybody's Crying Mercy. But otherwise, yeah. You mm-hmm. were f- okay. Yeah. So the first one was If, yeah. which is a straight eight feel. Yeah. 
And that's set up by the bass player. Okay. So Ellen told him how, or originally when we learned the tune, told him the tempo she wanted and, and developed into it so she could just say, okay, you can start. Yeah, so so that was totally him bringing that in. Okay. And the second one? The second one was Everybody's Crying Messy. So that's a blues. Mm-hmm. Like a one, two, three. And so you feel da 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 on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. The storm, what was the involved there in terms of your communication with the band to get them to do what you wanted rhythmically? Okay, so one, one of the things that that is hard to do um, as a vocalist is you have just, you don't want the whole show to go, you know, to st- stop, but you have to take a moment to go into the song, or at least this is what I do, go into the song in my head without singing it out loud, and then I notice how my body is moving. Mm-hmm. As I'm singing the song in my head, and that gives me the tempo. Okay. And then I turn around and I try to give a both a clear visual cue with mm-hmm. my body, my hand, my head, and then an auditory cue that everybody can hear. Mm-hmm. So, one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. So that's a swing. All right. And mm-hmm. then TikTok. How did you approach that one? TikTok. Uh, the band came up with this cool beginning to sound like a clock, mm-hmm. which is in straight eight time. Mm-hmm. So it's one, two, three, four. But then we segues immediately into bossa. Mm-hmm. So I had to, we have to count that in with both of those in mind. They both have the same tempo, but I, ha- I, I actually have to think about the bossa feel, where I want that in yeah. to count out the straight eight, right? So it's one, two, three. Um, like mm. yeah, mm-hmm. I sh- I think there's I the way I think about it is there's uh, some part of the song that will always tell you the tempo of it, mm-hmm. and I try to zero in on that part that's going to tell me because it's, it's a drag if you count it off in the wrong tempo and mm-hmm. you know either as a singer or a, or a player right. But if, if if for example I'm sure this doesn't happen very often if at all Ellen does count it off in the wrong tempo you just have to go with it right or yes. yeah. That's, yeah. There's nothing can be done at that point. Especially on a live recording. <laughs> Especially on a live recording. Yeah, there are times when I or I've asked somebody, to, you know, in the band to count it off, and it's, count, it's counted out at the completely wrong tempo. And then there are times, not very often, when I'll stop and redo it. But there are other times when it's in the wrong tempo, and I just say to myself, gee, I wonder what the song will sound like at this tempo. And then it's a total adventure, because mm-hmm. the tempo will completely change the story you're telling and the the way uh, the audience receives the song. Now there's one, at least one more item that you mentioned on your list of things that a singer has to have ready before he or she gets into the rehearsal studio with musicians. Um, Knowing how to find the starting note and generally having a grasp on intros and endings. Can we talk a bit about that please? Oh yeah. I actually like to collaborate on the intros and endings because... yeah. You know, Ellen is a very collaborative vocalist. You know, some 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 vocalists are a little nervous of jazz musicians doing what they do mm-hmm. um, because there's an element of danger. You know, <laughs> just just the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I've always admired the way she she trusts her band. She says, "Well, this is the idea I had for this, but why don't we start it and see what what you come up with." Um, and Murray might have an idea for it. Sam actually has a lot of ideas mm-hmm. for um, musical collaboration in terms of what would be nice at the beginning of this tune or what I might play over the top of it. 
Ellen, anything you want to add to that? We're talking about intros and endings yeah. and, um, oh, the starting note. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing the starting note before you get into rehearsal. I mean, I have trouble with that. I, sometimes I'm, I haven't done enough preparation and I wipe out because not only do I not necessarily know what note to start mm -hmm. on sometimes, but also I haven't really thought carefully about when I'm supposed to start. You know, that, that time mm -hmm. when you're, you come in too early or you miss your cue or whatever. Well, one of the songs I know, uh, What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life? Mm. That's a hard starting note to find. Mm. And so that's one of the beauties of actually being able to have a rehearsal is to, I'll say, you know, to Murray, give me um, a chord with the, maybe the voicing is my note on the top of it mm -hmm. so that I can hear it. Yeah. Otherwise, you just have to practice. Well, it does help to know what the intro is going to be, right? And mm -hmm. how long it will be so that you know when to come in and you have an idea what the chord is that will be leading you into the first note. If I sense there's um, some uncertainty, I might play that note, you know, to help out mm -hmm. the, the singer. Okay. Yeah. Again, in a subtle way. <laughs> in a subtle way. <laughs> so, you know, as we've discussed, endings can vary radically from one interpretation to the next. They're an important part of style, actually. I thought we could listen to a couple of different versions now of the famous Kurt Weill and Bertolt Brecht show tune, Mac the Knife. The first will be sung by Bobby Darren and the second by... Ella Fitzgerald and we'll have a chat about how they tackle the endings and mm -hmm. what needs to happen between the singer and the band to make them happen effectively. I said Jenny Diver, whoa Suki Tawdry, look out to Miss Lottie Lenya and old Lucy Brown, yes that line falls on the right babe, not that man. This is Voice Box with me, Chloe Veltman. I'm in the studio with jazz singer Ellen Robinson and sax player Kristen Strom. We're talking about the art of how a singer communicates with the other musicians around her. Ellen Kristen, we just heard two recordings of the end of the song Mac the Knife from the Threepenny Opera by Kurt Weill and Bertolt Brecht. The first version, sung by Bobby Darren, the ending was very precise um, and neat in many ways. And the second version, sung by Ella Fitzgerald, much more loosey-goosey, improvisatory in feel. Let's talk a bit about those two endings. What needs to happen between the singer and the band to achieve these respective effects? Well, the, the first thing that the Bobby Darren tune is with a big band, mm -hmm. so it's all written out. Mm -hmm. And then even when, when he goes into the break, the drummer plays triplets, da, 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 and he sings, look mm -hmm. how Mackie is back, right? And then they hit the last note. So that's, that's uh, 
that's all prepared in, in advance. And you can't really do an improvised ending with a big band. It's too many people, <laughs> too right. many cooks, right? Okay. So they're reading that. And mm-hmm. I would imagine Ella's band was not reading Mac the Knife. Mm-hmm. And so there was some kind of visual cue, you know, I'm ready to take it out. And, and they, someone kind of let it. Right. And yeah. then they seem to be segueing into something else at the end of that, right? I'm not sure where they were going with it. but Well, often the instrumentalist will... Well, well she was actually exiting. Mm-hmm. So they play... Uh, something over that while she's exiting oh, to keep. Oh, ladies yes. and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> and hers obviously was live, which you yeah. know was you know done in the moment. How a song begins and ends and progresses from start to finish is, in many respects, a matter of style. Kristen, how open are you to radically different approaches to style when it comes to working with singers? What kinds of information do you need from the singer to get at what they want? Oh. Uh, you know, as a as a jazz musician, I'm really open to doing different things mm-hmm. with 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 music. I'm uh, I'm impressed a lot of times with the choices singers make if they hear something new mm-hmm. in a song. And I like I was just saying that from the beginnings of that Kurt Vile tune, mm-hmm. you know, in its original form to what it has become just on uh, what we are listening to um, is really great. You know, mm-hmm. the evolution of music. So. Um, I'm I'm really open to changes like that and interest and interested in um, helping um, make that vision come true. What about the relationship between the horn sections and and the voice? I mean, you do some interesting things there that are not well, just accompanying or supporting in some ways, right? Well, yeah. The mo- I usually I I think of it as first of all, I want to try to make it easy for the singer to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So as a as a horn player, I'm really conscious of not getting in their way. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're a, a conf, confident singer, or you know, even like used to playing with someone else like that filling in, then I know I can kind of um, piggyback on some notes. Like I'll try to be another voice sometimes, mm-hmm. and and end up on a harmony with with the vocalist if they're open to that kind of thing. You know, because mm-hmm. our job is to make the music do something, mm-hmm. right? So we're always trying to do that. Um, I, I'm pretty conscious of not playing stuff that might mess them up. You know, I'm, it's, I'm thinking it's not really about me. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, in that case, that uh, during my solo, I can do whatever I want, but I'm really conscious of trying to make the song better by adding something, or in some cases, not adding something. Ellen, you do these workshops with other singers to kind of help develop their skills, their communication skills with with musicians. Um, How do you work with your students in the workshops to help them communicate to the band what kind of style they're looking for? When we're talking purely about yeah, different feels to different songs. Yeah, that and that that's pretty confusing because there's the music has gotten so melded with Mm -hmm. so many different styles. But I'll take. one song and play it in three different styles and mm-hmm. ask them to try to describe it because that's what happens when we go into a rehearsal. I have kind of an idea in my head and um, sometimes I'll play an example uh, for the band and then we talk about, well, what is that style? So I try to do that with my students mm-hmm. um, and to that end so that they can come up with their own style, which is a lifelong journey mm-hmm. rather than just replicating you know, Ella Fitzgerald or Bobby Darren. Well, what what would you? How would you do this? But it's it is a piece that comes in addition to um, figuring out what radical or interesting style you might want to 
to do there's that piece of how do you articulate what that is what right? do you call yeah. it yeah. yeah so how so um well I've, let's do this. I think it would be great if we could listen to a couple of different versions of a song and then maybe we could talk about that vocabulary and how, what kind of terminology and so on we could use to describe it and communicate those ideas to the band. So here's the song, um, Isn't She Lovely, which uh, was, of course, written by Stevie Wonder. We'll hear it in two versions. The first will be stung by, sung by Stevie himself and then we'll hear the blues singer Kevmo's version. tuned into Voicebox. I'm Chloe Veltman. Voicebox is available as a free weekly podcast on iTunes. Search for the show using the term KALW Voicebox. I'm in the studio with jazz singer Ellen Robinson and sax player Kristen Strom. We're chatting about how a singer can most effectively communicate with her band. Let's just talk about what we just heard um, now. Kristen and Ellen. We had Stevie Wonder singing his 1976 song, Isn't She Lovely? And then we followed that by a cover version of the song performed by the blues artist Kev Mo. Very different. How would, if, if this was an exercise in one of your classes, mm-hmm. what kinds of things would you be doing, Ellen, with your students to try and get them to articulate well, these two different styles? I would ask them what is the same about the song and what mm-hmm. is different about the song. Mm-hmm. I mean, the obvious, the most obvious thing is the tempo, mm-hmm. right? And they, they um, are they in the same key? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like the Kev Mo version is more like a, a shuffle, mm-hmm. and Stevie's is what we call that more of a pop. It has this, it's yeah, got a little bit, it has the, yeah, it's got the six eight feel, mm-hmm. like six eight pop. Yeah. So, for instance, one of the things I say to my students, you know, I have a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I, that's sometimes the way I get ideas for rhythm, is I'll just start pushing the buttons, you know. Well, there are, must be at least 157 different rhythmic styles on there, which, you know, it, it clarifies this, <laughs> well, it's not the way you say it, but clarifies the confusion, because there'll be these jumble of words, uh, you know, Afro-Cuban, swing, bop, you know, something. And we were talking about how it's, uh, what, what did you say, some of those are clarifying words? Yeah, or you can, if you were going to uh, uh, communicate with the band about what kind of feel you want, you might say, well, uh, this is a straight-aids 
bossa feel, mm-hmm. but you also might say, but I want it to have kind of a loose feel mm-hmm. about it or an mm-hmm. open feel mm-hmm. that right. helps communicate what's in your mind because we can't read your mind to see what what are you hearing in there, you know. Um, but having those kind of ways to, to describe what it is, a feeling about it will help. Do you yeah. feel like there is a common language? I mean, with music, there are so many different ways of describing songs. I mean, do you feel like usually you're all talking, you're on the same page, or is there often confusion? Well, I think those basic things like straight eight or, uh, or set, swan, yeah, those are set. Everyone yeah. you know, understands. The, we, we all know that. But the other, the, the, some of those colors and layers of rhythm can be a little more confusing. Yeah, sometimes you have a different idea of what that means. Mm-hmm. But after you try it, then you might be able to clarify it further. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah, not trial exactly and error. what I meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it all comes out in rehearsal, mm-hmm. which brings yeah. me on to the subject of rehearsal, because we focused a lot so far on the great amount of preparation mm-hmm. that a vocalist should undergo before he or she even meets the band. But then you, you get into the rehearsal room, if you're lucky enough to get any exactly. rehearsal. <laughs> um, what, in your views, is the optimal rehearsal process in terms of a collaboration between band members and a singer? Well, you know, ideally you've been able to get the charts to your instrumentalists in advance and any um, MP3s that they might need. Mm-hmm. And then you um, you usually are rehearsing, well, we usually rehearse pr- fairly early in the morning because Chris is coming up from the South and has to get back. So yeah. we're kind of sleepy. We're not quite awake. <laughs> If we start with a ballad, it's like it time. It's <laughs> like really idea. slow. So we have to sort of wake up and uh, go through go through the material. What can go wrong? What can go wrong in mm. rehearsal is if you spend too much time on a song and, um, and then you don't have enough time to do all the songs you needed to run yeah. through. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not so hot. So I try to um, you know do like a little wake up song, something easy that we can kind of you know, really lock in and then start to attack some of those more complicated ones, make sure we know what we want to do mm-hmm. um, so that if if we run out of time, the easier ones, some more easier ones are at the end. Yeah, so you basically have a set list for mm-hmm. your rehearsal, things mm-hmm. that you need to cover up front. I'm Chloe Veltman, your host on Voicebox. I'm chatting with Ellen Robinson, a jazz singer who also teaches workshops for singers on developing the skills they need to work masterfully with other musicians in the room. We also have one of Ellen's band members in the studio with us tonight, sax player Kristen Strom. The track we just heard, Ellen's take on the Cole Porter classic, Let's Do It, had an unusual, (laughs) rather lovely reggae inflection to it. Mm -hmm. It brings us to the final stage of tonight's discussion, in fact, about performance. Ellen, um, counting in the band is one of the things that a singer usually does on stage. And with a song like the one we just heard, you have to do this in a very particular way. Can you tell us about that, please? Well, there's a lot of accent on one. That's kind of how I'd count it. And um, my body's going up and down. Mm -hmm. So that's 
basically how it counted in. I kind of acted out is right. what I'm You're doing. using your whole body. I mean, just yes. now, the, obviously the listeners couldn't see this, but you're, you're there with the up. shoulders, She's the arms are out, you're yeah. doing the reggae dance. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. you do you do ma- dance and move to the tune. Right, and if they can't see your face, then watching what your body's doing up and down is like, obviously... Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, give, give, give us the feel of the tune. Yeah, because you usually have, you know... Uh, Kristen on one side, the, the horn player on one side, and the piano player on the other side. And so then you have the bass and the drums, who are really only seeing your back. So hopefully, yes. When I go out the door, <laughs> I, I turn around and say, "How do I look?" From you, because <laughs> they're going to be watching. They're going to be watching that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about other things you have to communicate? Things like changes in tempo, dynamics, and endings, and so forth. How, how do you do that stuff? Yeah. Uh, again, if it's if it's in the middle of some kind of a, a ballad, I will, whenever possible, ask the band to do some of that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I have to cue a, where you know where the band stops and my word comes in. So then I actually have to do that like a conductor. So you're gesturing with your hand there, mm-hmm. making a big gesture, yeah. pulling pulling the sound down almost. Yeah, from the or sky. or mm-hmm. like hitting something. But see, you know, and that's another skill. A lot of times singers are afraid to be very definitive with their hands i i also also happen to be a choral director mm-hmm. so i'm used to directing and conducting uh-huh. but some singers can be very timid about well if you've got a microphone in your hand though that can be tricky very very tricky. you have to make sure you've got the microphone in the other hand and the other hand when you're going to mm, make big that's gestures right. that's right that's and right. The, and then also if you use your right hand then the instrumentalists on the left don't necessarily see you so you yeah. have to be careful about that as well so huh. sometimes you have to use your head or your entire body right. to indicate uh, a hit or and, something and dynamics what are you doing there sometimes i'll do dynamics but you know I have the luxury of working with musicians that are listening so well right. that if I start to build, they'll build with me. Okay, because it's, it's a conversation. Yeah, or or if you come down, right the other way. Mm-hmm. How about rubato, where the singer doesn't observe a strict meter? I mean, this is obviously very key in jazz music, where you mess about with mm-hmm. the the tempo and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you how do you get into those passages? How do you get out of them and back into time with stricter time with the band? Yeah, that, the rubato thing is the trickiest thing, and that's generally it's going to be with your piano player, or sometimes I've done that with Sam just on bass, and um, that does take. I usually take some separate time just from the rehearsal, like yeah. uh, like either before everybody gets there or after, mm-hmm. and we just because it really is just feeling it, and it really is a conversation, and it, since it is not set. You have to be able to um, practice having the conversation different ways with with your instrumentalist. Let's hear a sample of a song which requires you to communicate the sense of rubato, Ellen. Here's You Must Believe in Spring. When lonely feelings chill the meadows of your mind Just think if winter comes can spring be far behind Beneath the deepest snows The secret of a rose Is merely that it knows You must believe in spring you Must Believe in Spring, performed by tonight's guest, Ellen Robinson. It was lovely, Ellen. Uh, 
Thank you. So we talked about, um, before the song started, about getting into that rubato and rehearsing and so on, getting out of it. Getting out of it, How yeah. do you do that? Yeah, so, by the way, so, you know, Murray, or the piano player, has one eye on the music and one eye on the singer watching for when to stop and when to start in that rubato section. And then what I'll do is, what I did in that one is, then I would sing the last line, you must believe in spring, in time. Yeah. And then I'm also um, using my body to indicate the tempo, and then I'll bring in, with a conducting my with my mm-hmm. hand, boom, and then the instruments come in. So it's clear. singing it in, in time, after the rubato. Mm-hmm. How much room is there for for improvisations in on the spot that aren't necessarily planned um, vocal improvisations or instrumental improvisations in performances? Do you veer into that terrain, or are all the improvisation spots pretty much preordained? Well, that she actually Ellen is wonderful. She gives us a lot of space, mm. you know, for doing what we do. Um, so the solo links are not set. Mm. They're kind of just determined by what happens in in the music. And like I said before, she's really open to having things happen around her. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so in performance, you know, that's that's the exciting thing, creating the music together. So, but in the moment, how is that all happening? Is it just all done by looking at each other? Or what's, what's that subtle interplay of things that have to go on in order to make this happen and not be a total train wreck? It's all in the ears, baby. (laughs) Well, it's getting close to the top of the hour and it's time to sign off, sadly. But I'd like to say a very special thank you to tonight's guests, Ellen Robinson and Kristen Strom, for coming into the studio this evening to chat. It's been great, guys. Thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure. Great fun. fun. To find out more about Ellen Robinson, please visit ellenrobinson.com. And to find out about Kristen Strom, who has her own quartet, visit her website at kristinstrom.com. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. This episode of Voicebox is generously supported by San Francisco Performances, presenting a recital by the luminous Finnish soprano Carita Matilla with pianist Martin Katz on Tuesday, December the 6th at Herbst Theatre, San Francisco. For tickets and information, please visit sfperformances.org. Voicebox's series producer is Seth Samuel and the web editor is Victoria Lim. I'd like to play us out with a song by the Monkees, whose title and refrain every singer should take to heart. Here's Listen to the Band. Have a songful week. Hey, hey, mercy, woman plays a song and no one listens. I need help, I'm falling again. Play the drum a little louder till me I Weren't they good to me?